We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. No book on earth is deeper and richer than the Bible. And few passages of scripture go deeper than the ninth chapter of the book of Romans. Welcome to Canyon Ridge Radio with Pastor Chris Chadwick, a ministry of Canyon Ridge Baptist Church in San Diego. You'll hear verse-by-verse preaching that will help you know and love Jesus in a personal and practical way. Open your Bibles with us to Romans chapter 9 and listen into part 2 of this message in progress as we learn together from the Bible. That the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. After that, he will let you go. God hardened the heart of a man who had a hard heart towards God. We can say it this way. God hardened Pharaoh's already rebellious heart. Does this apply to me? Oh, we're about to make it super applicable to you. God hardened Pharaoh's already rebellious will in order to accomplish the first Passover. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, the scripture says, God hardened his heart. Matter of fact, um, in Wilmington's Guide to the Bible, Dr. Wilmington helped us, helps us immensely here by teaching us that 20 times the reference to Pharaoh's heart being hardened uh, and either God or Pharaoh doing it happens 20 times in the Bible. 10 times Pharaoh hardened his heart, hardens his heart. 10 times God hardens Pharaoh's heart, meaning they, that Pharaoh was an active participant. You see, Pharaoh thought he was God. Pharaoh thought he was not only God, he was, he was the most divine of all the gods. Every one of the plagues of the nation of, that the nation of Egypt went through, God, Jehovah God of the Bible, was attacking one of the gods of the nation of Egypt. The flies, the frogs, the darkness, the lice, all of those things that children of, or the people of Egypt worshipped in some form or fashion, either positively or negatively, they would worship them. And Pharaoh viewed all of them as gods. The people of Egypt viewed all of them as gods. But the supreme god of the people of Egypt was a man named Pharaoh. They re, he required worship. He was worshiped. And so Pharaoh is saying, I'm not letting anybody go unless it fulfills my purpose and my will. So God says, okay, Pharaoh's not going to let you go no matter what. I'm going to harden him to bring about something massively important that happened. And that is the first Passover, which is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So was Pharaoh's heart hardened? Absolutely. Was Pharaoh's heart hardened against his will? Absolutely not. Did God make Pharaoh a little bit more stubborn? Yes. Was Pharaoh already stubborn? Yes. Did Pharaoh want to remain stubborn? Yes. Well, what was the act of the hardening? That's the big question. The act of the hardening was what God even does to this day. The act of the hardening was God just pulling himself back and saying, you want to do your own thing, bro? You go right ahead, do your own thing. All it takes for your heart and my heart to be hardened is for the work of the Holy Spirit in our life to be removed. 
Your heart will go its natural way, which is rebellion and resistance to God, if it wasn't for God working in your heart on a regular daily basis. All of us. Left to ourselves, we are deep, dark sinners. I mean, that's why some of us, you say, well, I'm not even a Christian yet. Well, still, the mercy of God is on your life. The law of God, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, is written on your heart. You can push that so far aside that God finally says, fine, just go do your own thing. And then you see de- debauchery in a way that that is shocking to society where people are so far removed from reality and so self-absorbed and self-consumed that they'll do whatever they want. That's right where Pharaoh was. The hardening of Pharaoh's heart was it's not God actually, actually, um, um, placing extra hardening in Pharaoh's heart. It was just God removing his word, his will, his conviction, and his word from Pharaoh's life. And then Pharaoh could do whatever he wanted. And he did. And God made sure he didn't let the children of Israel go early because God was going to accomplish his will through Pharaoh. So God absolutely hardened unfaithful Pharaoh to accomplish his purpose. Time will not allow for me to talk about every area that God still does that today. But God also, verse number 18, I'll show uh, mercy on whom I'll show mercy and I'll harden who I harden. God shows mercy on whom he wills. God will patiently refrain from punishing Israel when they deserve it to accomplish his purpose. He can cut them off in unbelief, but just as in the story of Moses, that wouldn't have accomplished his purpose. So he showed mercy to fulfill his promise to unfaithful Israel. Verse number 19 and 20. They're really asking a question. It's again, it's another implicit question. That will say unto me, why doth he yet find fault? For who resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to the one that formed, or to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? Here's the question being asked. If rebellion helps accomplish God's will, why punish the the rebel? Why blame someone if their rebellious actions were part of God's plan? The Israelites were hardened to accomplish God's, and it accomplished God's plan. And yet you say to me, Israel has shown mercy. Why are we to blame if God's will is being fulfilled? If God's will is being fulfilled. Let me give this illustration. Um, let's say you're driving down the freeway and you're late for Pilates. Our trustees love Pilates. Um, you're late for Pilates and you um, start driving and, you, and you're going faster than the, the posted speed. And it's California, so we have posted speed, unposted speed, and then unsafe speed. And you move from posted to unposted to unsafe. And you're driving like mad and you're just going crazy and you get in a car accident. 
and a car accident, you, you get a ticket from a nice, respectable officer that you invite to Frontline Hero Sunday, October the 22nd at 10.30 in the morning here at Canyon Ridge Baptist Church. And you invite them to be a part of the service here. And, uh, and uh, you have to pay the ticket, and there's a, there's a fine and all of that. And then the officer comes. And, oh, by the way, I didn't tell you. You're a single young lady, all right? This only works for single young ladies. Uh, and you're a single young lady, and you invite the officer to church, and the officer comes to church, and you have to pay your fine for causing an accident. And the price you have to pay uh, for the fine uh, because of inflation uh, is $25,000. You have to pay a $25,000 dollar fine. I, there's, I don't think there's any fines that much, but you get the idea. This is fanciful. Uh, and you pay a $25,000 fine. And, and the, the guy comes to, to service on that Sunday and, and, uh, and uh, you and he strike up a friendship, if you single young lady, and it's not too long uh, later that he accepts Christ as his savior. And then the two of you uh, begin to date one another. And it's not long after that, that you, you get married, you get married. And you say something like this, oh, it was God's will that I was speeding and got in a wreck because that's how I got married. No, 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 You got married because the mercy of God in your life and most cops aren't smart. <laughs> Not as dumb as firefighters, but... Okay, if you're either one of those, don't let my house burn and don't arrest me, all right? I'm a chaplain. I can make jokes about us, all right? Um, and and I, I'm teasing. Simply because something good came out of your rebellion doesn't make the rebellion okay. And that's what the nation of Israel was arguing. Well, since something good came out of it, we weren't wrong to begin with. No, no, you're totally wrong to begin with because you violated God's law. And so just because something positive happened, it is not because what you did was positive. It's because the mercy of God is always available, readily available in your life. And God protected you in the car wreck and those that you were with. God allowed you to come. You paid off the fine. You eventually got married, following my stupid analogy here. But but don't assume that simply because something positive happened outside of your rebellious action that God's okay with it because he's not. That's 19 and 20. Why do you find fault? God made us do, God let us do this. I mean, come on. No, 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 no. Who are you to say that God shouldn't say that this is the law or this is his will? No. So if rebellion helps accomplish God's will, why punish the rebel? You punish the rebel because they disobeyed God's law. It's very, very clear. Very clear. Verse number 20 to 24, finally, and, and this will be a brief point. Nay, but, O man, who art thou that replies against God? We looked at that. And then here's the second part. Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay? Of the same lump maketh he one vessel unto honor and another to dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? And that he might make known the riches of his glory on, vessels of mercy, on the vessels of mercy, 
which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. The fourth point, Paul is really saying this, the folly of setting yourself up against God. The folly or the foolishness of attacking your creator. Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, why dost thou make me thus? And he gives this illustration, all referring back to Jeremiah of the potter. Doesn't the potter, when, when a potter sits down at the potter's will and he takes a lump of clay and he puts it on the will and he begins to pedal and spin it, can't the potter do whatever he wants? Can't he make a pot out of that? Can't he make a plate out of that? Can he do whatever he wants to do? He can make a flower pot. He can make a pot that you put water in. He could make a cup that you could drink out of. The potter can do whatever he wants with the pot. That, that's the, that's the whole principle. Nobody would, nobody would go into a potter's house or, or, or shop and hear uh, a potter making a cup and hear the cup yelling back at the potter. No, I want to be a flower pot pansies or die no nobody would hear that that'd be foolish you wouldn't walk by it and and hear a, a pot after it comes out of the kill saying to a plate man i wish i was you I mean, you just flat, you have food on you all the time. I mean, people scrape you, teenage boys, if it's syrup, they'll lick you. I mean, you're like a fixed puppy, man. Everybody loves you. And here I am, just a stupid pot. Get dirt in me, flowers. They're probably going to grow basil in me. I hate basil. You say, Pastor, that's stupid. Right, that's the illustration. That's the point that he's making. The thing formed doesn't say to the one that formed it, why'd you make me this way? We live in a world where because of scientific advancements in some areas, people are like, I'll just change who I am. I'm too tall. I'll have surgery to be shorter. I'll just cut my shin bone in half. Have the world's smallest shins. I'll be SpongeBob. So think for him, say to him that formed it, why'd you make me thus? Other people do more draconian and dark things to their bodies. I don't like being how I'm created. Who are you to make me this way? You should have made me a different way. Why'd you make me thus? Paul is making a, a very clear argument. No, the thing formed says to the one that formed it, you're the creator. I'm not going to fight against you. I'm not going to resist you. This is how you made me. You, you, you made me nation of Israel, part of the nation of Israel. You made me a Gentile. I'm not going to try to be something that I'm not. This is who you've made me to be. And in being who you made me to be, I fulfill my purpose. And in fulfilling my purpose, I find my greatest joy. If you like what you've heard so far, check out CanyonRidgeRadio.com. You can see videos and listen to hundreds of Bible messages that will help you in your walk with the Lord. You can also send a message to me and Pastor Chadwick. Check us out at CanyonRidgeRadio.com. Now, back to the message in progress. See, what Satan wants to tell you, and what he was trying to tell the nation of Israel, and what one of the... The key points of, of Satan's argument is always this. God made a mistake when he made you the way that he made you. 
You've got brown hair. Why did God make you with brown hair? Why didn't you have blonde hair? You know blondes have more fun. You just are boring. boring. Why did God make you thus? God, why did you make me this way? God, why didn't, you, why didn't you make me a different way? Why didn't you make me even a different gender? Why didn't you make me? I, I used to get so insecure. Now, if you know me well, this is, this is not funny. This is, this is therapy. If you're new to Kenya Ridge, this is me lying too. Uh, this is, but like for me, I, 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 I think I have like average intelligence. I don't know. I took tests and they all are all over the map because I don't take time to read the questions. Um, my daughter gave me a personality test the other day. She goes, Dad, it will take you like an hour to take this test. I want to see your personality. I'm like, oh, it won't take me an hour. She goes, yes, it will. No, it won't. Yes, it will. No, it won't. Yes, it will. Give me the test and be quiet. I took that test in a minute and a half. I did not read one question on there. <laughs> one question. I just had a pattern. It was multiple choice. I went one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five minutes or less, put it in, and it put on there. You're an inherent liar. <laughs> There you go. It's my personality there. There's my per- But I used to be like, like, like if you know me, you know that, that like I don't enjoy spelling. Like spelling words. Okay, you're not pers- excited about that one. All right, but I, I just, I'm like, I, I don't, like it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, like you spell, I learned phonetically how to, how to read. So there, I, I read like, like, at a, like at least a first grade level. And... And I, and, I, and I love to read. I read a lot. If you're in my library, you see all that. And, and I don't even mind spelling. But to me, it's just a waste of time. It's like a social construct that says words have to be spelled the way you spell them. And then we have some people on our staff that are like, oh, spelling's the most important thing, Pastor. You got to spell correctly. And I'm like, you know what else is really important? What? Your job. And... So you might want to be careful before you keep talking there. But I'm like, I just don't get it. And then, then they're like, well, there's certain rules in English that you have to follow. And I'm like, right, that's why I hate English. Like I before E, except, you know, except after C, except when followed by D to the square root of B. And I'm like, what in the world? If it's a rule, it's a rule. It's not a rule that changes every 30 minutes based on somebody's idea. There's some nerdy professor named Bernie Lund, our music pastor, in the bottom of a basement in Oxford. Oxford going, oh, we'll change this rule. And when I grew up, there's rules like two spaces after a period when you're typing. No, not even that anymore. I can't even figure these things out. So what do I do? AI writes my sermons. Um, (laughs) I'm kidding. It doesn't. It doesn't at all. But there was a time when I was really, really insecure. And I'm like, God, why didn't you give me a mind that likes spelling? I feel stupid. Stupid, like half the time. Why did you make me this way? And then I just came to grips with, this is kind of how God made me. And I try to do my best. I work really hard at it. Shall the thing formed say to the thing that formed it, why did you make me thus? Oh, there's great folly in arguing against God. In fighting the Lord. Uh, Tremendous folly. You see, God, verse number 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. God, as the potter, 
needs to be granted absolute sovereignty. Just as, let me read this correctly. Just as the potter must be granted absolute sovereignty over the clay, so God must be granted absolute sovereignty over mankind. God made you the way that he made you. How foolish it would be to say anything different. The lump that is hardened by the clay represents the nation of Israel who had grown calloused in their rebellion and is now being remolded into different vessel, a different vessel. There's a remarkable change in the rest of this passage in the form that's being expressed and, and used to describe those destined for destruction and those destined for glory. You'll notice verse number 22. What if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction? If they're fitted for destruction. People say, well, see, pastor, they're fitted for destruction. Right, they're fitted for destruction, right. But you know what the text doesn't say? It doesn't say God fitted them for destruction. As if God had prepared those vessels for wrath in contrast to those he prepared for mercy. God doesn't create people in order to damn them to hell. When people behave like Pharaoh, God deals with their inbred wickedness in such a way to bring about punishment. But God didn't create Pharaoh to send Pharaoh to hell any more than God created anyone in this room for that purpose. He's long-suffering. Why would God be long-suffering and long-suffering and long-suffering and long-suffering than just to send somebody to hell against even their will or their desire? And then Paul concludes this whole argument of this section by stressing the fact that the Gentiles are as much an object of God's mercy as the Jew, which is absolutely unforeseen to this point. I mean, this was shocking to the Jews. Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but of the Gentiles. Here's what he's saying. We, we, those of us that have been called by God are, are now both Jews and Gentiles. The salvation of the Gentile is not an afterthought with God. Someone have, has, has well said that all the saved are not God's afterthoughts, but God's forethoughts. Well, pastor, do you, do you think that some people are born so they can go to heaven and other people are born to go to hell? I don't believe that at all. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. The Bible says that salvation is available to all mankind. There are people who will reject it. There are people whose hearts are hardened towards the gospel, but the whole world has the gospel available to them. The whole world, the whole world, no doubt about it. First Timothy chapter two, verse number three and four. The Bible says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants all people, all men to be saved. All mankind is what he means. All mankind to be saved. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and savior, make absolutely no mistake. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus from heaven to earth to die on the cross of Calvary for your sin. And he wants you to be saved. These are the words of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes in Jesus will have everlasting life. You repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in Christ alone, only Jesus. He promises to give you eternal life. 
And God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. There's not one person under the sound of my voice that God does not want to be saved. There's not one person on this planet that God will not allow to be saved. Somebody said, well, pastor, I mean, does God know who will be saved? Absolutely God knows who will be saved. Absolutely God knows who will and who won't be saved. The Bible says we're elect according to foreknowledge. God knows who will be saved. We can't be foolish about that. But God doesn't force himself on you and God doesn't keep himself from you. He lets you make the decision whether or not to accept him or reject him. Somebody said to me one time, well, if, if God in foreknowledge knows that you won't accept him and still create you, that not that his responsibility? No. That's your responsibility. God's, done, God's, God's allowed creation to speak with you. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his, shows his handiwork. And for us here, God allows you to hear the gospel. If no other time, God's allowing you to hear the good news of Jesus Christ today, that Jesus loves you, he died for you, and he wants to give you eternal life. And, and that if you will repent and accept him as Savior, he promises that he will give you eternal life. That's available to you this day. And then 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9 the Lord's not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What do you mean not willing? God doesn't want anybody to perish, but to come to repentance. Well, is the will of God always accomplished? Well, let me ask you this. Is the will of God always accomplished in your life? Absolutely not. Certainly not in my life. There's times when I resist the will of God. The Bible talks about people who resist the will of God. It's not, God doesn't force himself on us, but he has a desire for us to do right. And there's a free will implication in all of our lives. God's not making himself uh, or, 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 or imposing his will on you, but he's making his will very clear today. He loves you, he died for you, and he wants to give you heaven as your home. And if you will repent, means to agree with God, you've sinned against him. If you will repent and ask Jesus to save you, he promises to give you eternal life. You've been listening to Canyon Ridge Radio with Pastor Chris Chadwick. Tune in next week as Pastor Chadwick continues this powerful series of messages from Romans chapter 9. Speaking of, if you have any questions about what it means to be a Christian, the Bible, and how to go to heaven, we invite you to visit CanyonRidgeRadio.com for more information. We hope this episode of Canyon Ridge Radio has been an encouragement to you. Canyon Ridge Baptist Church is a growing church located in beautiful San Diego, California. If you're in the San Diego area, make plans to visit us this Sunday at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., or 5 o'clock p.m., at 6866 Linda Vista Road. For more information about our church, pastor, or how to know Jesus as your Savior, visit our website at canyonridgeradio.com.